Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Viva Bastardo Show, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. We are in a new location with 82% more New York. So you will hear muggings, riots, police sirens, uh, people having sex, all sorts of things in the background. Uh, today, we have my very good friend, Yale Evelev, who is uh, a co-founder with David Byrne of a record label called Luakabop. He's a massive car fiend. He's got a whole host of apocalyptic stories about all sorts of cars he's driven. He owns his own uh, Ferraris, uh, BMWs, Abarth, Simcas, and other obscure stuff. So let's get into it. This podcast is brought to you by Economy Science, the specialty company. It's a father and son joint. Uh, they've been in business since 1973, and they work on everything from spec Miatas to cars formerly driven by Paul Newman. Uh, they have an incredibly deep archive of brand decals from old races like the Daytona in the 70s, and they specialize in vintage motorsport liveries. Is it liveries or livery? Anyway, they have, they've done a ton of vintage Ferraris and priceless cars with history. Uh, if you've been to any vintage race in the USA, I'm sure you've seen their work. They do paint and vinyl, which is handy if you don't want to ruin your car. And they do any kind of thing, mo dragsters, motorcycles, stock cars, uh, scooters. Well, maybe not. But anyway, check them out. They're fantastically talented. This podcast is also brought to you by Inbound Motorsports. Uh, Rami, the main geezer who runs it, says a lot of you have been reaching out. Please continue to do so. He can bring in cars from anywhere, Japan, Europe, uh, Asia, which is also Japan. Um, he's bringing a ton of stuff. I think uh, there's been a strange peak of interest in Mitsubishi Pajero Evolutions. I don't know why. But anyway, give Rami a call. He's the most delightful guy, and he will be able to find you the bizarre car of your dreams. This podcast is also brought to you by Vital Oxide. I am now gesturing to the bottle gloriously and seductively if you're watching on YouTube. It's a very powerful, heavy-duty odor eliminator. It doesn't just eliminate the odors, it destroys them entirely. Um, it's a surface disinfectant. It kills viruses like COVID-19. Uh, it eliminates mold and mildew up for up to four weeks. Uh, and there's no fragrance added, which is always fantastic because I don't like that fake piney smell. So... Vital Oxide. Check it out, listeners. This podcast brought to you by Stray Dog Classics, a Brooklyn-based company that brings in Range Rovers, rust-free classic Range Rovers from Spain. They do all new paint, suspension, wheels, carpets. They go through it mechanically. These cars are, these trucks, sorry, trucks are beautiful. Um, I know Darren, the geezer who runs it, the, the, all the trucks are irritatingly beautiful and offered in really interesting colors. Uh, they typically do client-ordered vehicles, but if you're super impatient, he's got a rare 91 two-door white car with a perfect untouched interior that's coming in. So if that floats your boat, slide into Darren's emails or messages on Instagram at Stray Dog Classics and let him know you're hungry for a nice, tasty Range Rover. Tell him I sent you. <laughs> Tell him Phil sent you. So, um, hello everyone and welcome to the Viva. This, this is the third time Phil's done this, by the way. <laughs> today. Yes, today. I'm talking yeah, about today. Within the last five minutes. Yeah. Welcome to the Viva Bastardo show. I am delighted to have my friend, Yale. I've never, I don't think I'm Evelyn. Is that how you That's it. That's correct. Very good. My very good friend. If you've ever watched The Muppets and you know who Statler and Waldorf are, the two old geezers who are in the balcony seat who are always bickering. That is basically Yale and I's relationship. We've known each other for 10... 10 years. 10 about, years yeah, or so? Yeah, yeah. 10 years of pure joy. Yes. <laughs> so Yale, I'll give you the executive summary, but you, I'm Do sure. you really know? I mean, you don't even know my last name. You don't even for 10 years. You so, don't know my last name. Do you have an executive summary? <laughs> I was going to say, that's very surprising you've been friends for 10 years. Well, this is, see, like, Do you know this, his last name? Of course. This is the, 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 but the difference is, you see, here's the thing. <laughs> we, we are doing this podcast, right? And Phil is supposed to ask me questions or something like that. I said, Phil doesn't know anything about me. I you do, know, I he do. Doesn't know my, okay. Just doesn't know my last name. Uh, you know okay. what I mean? Just, All right. <laughs> He's got you on that. <laughs> no, I, I just wasn't sure how to pron if I was giving, pronouncing it correctly because it could, yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> so Yale, um, you have a record album with David Byrne. Record called, label. Rec record label, sorry, yeah. shit. Record label with David Byrne called Luaka Bop. 
That's right? Good. And how long's that been? See, see, I've done research. Yeah. How long's that been going on 30, for? 32 years. 32 years. Yeah. Um, Wait, can we get some context on who David is? Because I feel like a people, little known, little known artist, David Byrne. I mean, I, I do like talking to people who don't know who he is, but uh, I mean, he was the singer in the Talking Heads. So that's most people seem to know who the Talking Heads are. And so <laughs> and you mostly focus on like brass construction. That's well, this, your... is, this is our end joke, because <laughs> I mean, Phil doesn't know anything about music. He probably knew stuff about music in high school or something like that. So he, you know, he says, of course, I know stuff about music. I know brass construction. So, you know, brass construction, which is was a kind of a low, a band from New York that uh, they were an amazing funk band that, from that, New York that, in the 70s that, that, that made pre disco music that is fairly obscure now. And that's because that, this is Phil's the, bona fides, the joke, bona fides. The, okay. the, the joke is because Yale, um, I, is it safe to say that Luaka Bot uh, makes you kind of specialize in in kind of obs obscure music and obscure musicians, but in a kind I mean, of fascinating that's, that's, way. That's not our goal. I mean, no, but but well, yeah, but it's is that it's sort of safe to say that's where you ended I up. I mean, that that's kind of I mean, basically, it's a record label. It's a project for me to learn about stuff, and and as a record label, I go, okay, I don't know anything about this. Let's start doing records of this material because I thought that was my function because I want to learn. I want to learn about that. that's kind of so that stuff tends to be obscure because I. I know a lot about different kinds of music, so you know that pushes me to. Do you want to give? A, do you want to give a couple of examples of well, some of those glories? We, 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 the latest record we did was, uh, and this is fair. These are people who are pretty well known to some. Uh, we did a, a record with Pharaoh Sanders and Floating Points, and Pharaoh Sanders is a jazz sax player who played with Coltrane, the last kind of living giant from that era, and uh, who's very grumpy. Lives in California. And we basically spent literally five years uh, having uh, chicken and waffles and uh, Langer's deli lunches with him to try to get him to do the record. And eventually he said yes. And then during COVID, we, we put this record out and it was a big, you know, it was, it was a one forty-six minute piece, which seemed highly uncommercial to me, but, but it really kind of captured people's imagination. So wait, the one track was 46 minutes? Yes. And remember, but I remember, it made the, the success of that record made you disgruntled. <laughs> well, it, no, no. Actually, I really like things to succeed when they're not expected to succeed. Right. It's only when things are obviously going to succeed that it that it gets like I get annoyed if something's doing really well and that's all anybody wants to talk to me about. Do you know what I mean? I, it's like, well, of course that's that's going to do well, you know. So, uh, but I like things that are a challenge. I mean, the record business is a real challenge. It keeps changing every time you put out a record. The, the kind of the scenario of how you're putting the record out or what you're putting it in, out in is different. So that's that's pretty interesting. And I've been doing it for a long time, and I've seen a lot of different evolutions of of the record industry. I mean, didn't you what do a record with uh, um, some sort of cult from Brazil? What was uh, well, yeah. Was I mean, well, okay. I mean, we are doing one coming okay. up, but that. We did one with this a singer who's kind of the Elvis Presley of Brazil named Tim Maia. Okay. Uh, Jim Maia. And uh, he, he at 17, he got annoyed. At, he was in a band in Brazil. He got annoyed at the bandmates who were, had left him and moved to, to New York. But he didn't end up in New York. He ended up in Nyack. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> was there a mistake? Like he, he misread I, the I, ticket? I, I don't really know how that happened, but that's where he ended up. Because Nyack in New York, you could almost see yeah. how you might get confused yeah. if you're not from. He was, he was there for five years. Um, living on people's couches, doing kind of odd jobs. And he had a band called The Ideals. And some friends of his were going to Florida. So he went to Florida with them. And uh, he got arrested in a stolen car smoking a joint and deported back to Brazil. And the friends in Nyack never knew what happened to him, but he became one of the biggest stars in Brazil. It didn't happen right away, but he came here and, and got really into soul music. And he was the first person in Brazil to do that sort of music in Brazil. So he, he became a huge star. Wow. But then we should also talk about um, how we met because you are a massive car fiend, and I'm also a massive car fiend. I'm not sure if you know that, but and a huge foodie. But you're not a big record label fiend. <laughs> no, yeah. Matt's looking at us. Wait a second. This is Haggerty. What are we talking about records? For? No, I'm actually because it's actually it's super interesting because I think for a lot of people that are listening. They like to drive their car. You mm -hmm. can listen to the engine for so much time, mm -hmm. but it's also nice to have like a good soundtrack when you drive. Yeah. Yeah. So music, I think, in cars but, go hand in hand. Yeah. I mean, does anyone have an old car that has a good? I mean, the, I used to like I, like I had a Ferrari for a while, nineteen sixty four, three thirty four seat Ferrari, mm. and uh, 
And I, I, a friend of mine worked for the Letterman Show, and they had a DC <clears throat> ability to listen to DC stuff. So I would bring car radios by. Wait, what's DC stuff? That's, well, direct current. And so oh. to plugging it into the wall, <laughs> I batteries. See. Yeah. You know, so I would bring car radios by and speakers, and I kept trying to figure out what 60s car radio with what speaker would sound kind of halfway decent. Because I like the idea of, you know, listening to a car radio that sounds like the era the car is from. You know, but I wanted it to sound good still within that context. That's a really interesting concept though, like building the stereo so it's like period correct. But sounds okay. Right. Did you ever have an in-car gramophone? No, but I, I did spend like $2,000 once on a car stereo <laughs> and then sold the car and that was like the last time I ever did that kind of thing. So you're, you're unusual as a, as a vintage car owner because not dissimilar to me, you, this is an in-joke between me and Yale. Yale is, is, he will go, there's a couple of things about Yale that everyone should know, is that um, one is you drive your cars massive distance. You're a foodie, and two is you drive your cars massive distances. So you will drive, and this is always our in-joke, that you will drive, you know, 600 miles to get a gourmet pretzel. <laughs> but the other well, thing- I mean, I like, I like to have a, a goal in mind. So I like that goal, that goal is really nice. So, and I like to drive for long distances, I do. You know, I like to go on a whole day drive. And but you also, but you, you you use your cars in a way that most people, I mean, didn't you take the Ferrari, this, what is it, 65? 60, 64. Didn't you take that cross country? No. Or semi cross country? I, I planned to go to cross, cross country with the car, but I don't think it ever would have made it. I mean, I spent $3 a mile on maintenance on that car. <laughs> literally, literally $3 a mile on maintenance, but I did. Go, when did you work that up? How you know, did you work that up? <laughs> Yeah, I guess you just look at the mileage and look I, at how much you spent. I, yeah, I right. looked. I, I kept a tabulation because I was on these boards and we would talk about how hard is it to own a vintage Ferrari. And I remember before I bought that car, I called up a dealer in California and I said, hey, you're selling a 330 GT just like I'm looking for. Um, how Have you ever driven that any distance? Oh, yeah. And he's in LA. He's going, we've driven to Santa Barbara in that, you know. And it's like, well, that's not really that far. You know right. what I mean? That. So, and, and, and with my car, the Ferrari would break down pretty much every third time. And the interesting thing is- I broke down with, with, you and I, it broke down with me. Yeah. We went to see a, we went to see a Lancia Zagato, I can't remember what it was, and it was so cool, but drove miserably. And you had just had the engine rebuilt. Yeah. And then, and then, so we're leaving. That was the last time, that was it, that was the last <laughs> We draw. were leaving, and then, and Yale goes around a corner, and then I'm behind him and I come around the corner. I just see this massive cloud of smoke, nimbus cloud of smoke and yells in that cloud somewhere. And I realize, oh, okay, something's happened to his newly rebuilt Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was a bad story. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the joke of, about you is that you, you there's always like- Well, yeah, I, I always leave magazines. I would always leave magazines in the car. So when I broke down, I would wait for the tow truck have something to read. I have something to read. Now, right. I literally knew every, when I had the Ferrari, every flatbed tow truck driver in New York City who'd worked for AAA. I literally knew everyone because they would, they would, I would see them multiple times. I remember once. <laughs> you get Christmas cards. Driving up the, <laughs> driving up the, 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 uh, the, the West Side Highway and the car won't start. And I know I just need a jump. And there's two police women there. And I said, um, do you think you could give me a push? And they're like, that's such a nice car. I go, yeah. But you know what? You just, can you give me a quick support? What are you doing in this car? Where are you going? I'm going, well, I'm just driving. Around. Well, you're just driving around. This is a parade car. You shouldn't be just driving around in this car. You should be taking this on parades. And I'm going like, well, okay, but can you give me a push? And they're like, no. They didn't give you a push? No, they didn't. I've always found that, like, I remember when I had the 240, 246D and I was on 2nd Avenue, like 50th, and it died at the lights. And, and immediately there were like seven people who wanted to help me push it off to the side because people in New York are so push delighted it off to, to the side. That's different. See, I also, I, when I first got the car, I had a vapor lock problem and it has oh, electric yeah. fuel pump. I didn't realize just leave the electric fuel pump on, you know, so it had electric fuel pump. I'm getting into the Holland tunnel. Boom. The car oh. stops. Oh, and that's these, the ultimate nightmare. People, that's death. Fear. people pulled out, you know, jumped out of, like you said, they jumped right off the side. I'll tell you, you want to push aluminum deck, you know, <laughs> trunk push delicate. You know, yeah. Mm. Dense, you know, like, oh God. <laughs> so that you like to drive these massive distances and you, why don't you tell everyone what your nickname is for me? <laughs> uh, this, the, the, the silver manatee. The silver manatee. <laughs> yeah. Yale calls me the silver manatee because I, he thinks, I mean, well. I, 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 okay. I think, no, <laughs> this, is, this is the story. The, the thing is that. Okay, hang on, hang when, on. Let when me I just... first met Phil, I thought, wow, 
a, a vintage car owner in New York City. Do you know how rare that is? There aren't that many of them. This is going to be, this. my whole life is going to open up and have someone to go driving around with. This is going to be amazing. The first time I took Phil on any kind of drive, which was an afternoon drive, he goes, oh, I'm feeling sick. I got to go home. Oh, I was. I was queasy. I was queasy. But you're never going on another drive. Queasy from what, though? From Yale. <laughs> Yale, Yale made me queasy. Well, well, okay, but I would say this. When we met 10 years ago, I had a two-year-old. So it was much harder for me to sort of go off on these like long, you know, day. And it's easy 18. now. So you're will, willing to do that. I'm now? ready to go. I was going to say, wouldn't it be Just, nicer to do it then? Yeah, but the two-year-old. No, learning. because then I get my nuts minced by the missus. That's the price you pay. Yeah. Mince nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, oh, wait, do you have a nickname for Yale? <laughs> yeah. Do we? Well, you have a nickname for everybody. So no, I, mean, I, don't think, I, I don't really don't, want to hear Phil's I was going to say, what is, what, how do you have them in your phone? <laughs> it just says Yale. <laughs> No last name, obviously. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yes. yeah. I don't think I have. That's weird, actually, because you should have a nickname. No, no. I mean, I there is a, there is this sense, like, when everyone goes for a drive occasionally, I'll always say, oh, so what happened to Yale's car? Or someone will call me, I go, oh, yeah, Yale's car blew a gasket or you, you had a flat tire. <laughs> I mean, that's happened less when I've gotten rid of the, since I've gotten rid of the Ferrari. I mean, I Okay, why don't we just discuss that? Why don't we discuss? See, I'm going to pull out the Trump card here. <laughs> Yale has a, what, 1972 BMW? Oh, yeah. What year is that? 1974 BMW 2002 Turbo. Ooh. So that has been at the mechanics for seven years? Well, <laughs> I mean, more than that, but how I mean, long, how long? Let's have well, well, I mean, it's not all at once. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I bought the car. The from, longest period. I bought the car from a car guy in Massachusetts and I drove it for a couple of years and they're legendary for the turbos themselves. The Kugel. Of, no, that's the oh, that's fuel the, injection. Okay. Pump. They're legendary right. for the turbos themselves wearing out. In fact, when the cars were new, you could return the turbo to, to BMW for a core charge and get a rebuilt one. Mm -hmm. You know, this was, this was like, they expected you to do this every 10,000 miles. It's a so. consumable at that point. It was a consumable. That's right. So, so uh, you know, I, I took it to a mechanic that had done some work on it. And I said, can you check the turbo? And they go, oh, my God. But don't worry. We know someone who can rebuild the turbo. And I said, okay, great. So pull the turbo out. That was 11 years without oh it. Because BMW made no rebuild kits. Wait, it was an 11-year no, gap. An 11-year gap. There was no parts available for it. And BMW, about five of those years, okay, but can I just told me they were making new turbos to sell to the turbo owners. And and so every year, they would I would call them up a few times a year, and they go, you know, in four months, we will have the turbos. I'm sorry it's taken a long time. We fired the guy who ran the program before. We totally screwed everything up. They still are not selling those turbos. But hang on. There's got to be other people who own that car. Of so course. surely other yeah. people have a, like a work. But I mean, here's here's the other thing. They, well, okay, it gets <laughs> the story gets the story gets larger and larger. One is I like to drive the cars. Yeah, as you've said, like I put, me, I have a 1970 911s. I put seventy five thousand, maybe close to hundred thousand miles on it. That is the ultimate record label executive car. <laughs> just wanna, I just want to point that well, out. I must be the ultimate record. You label. must be. <laughs> well, also we should also throw in that. Um, you are a member of uh, Grupa. Yeah. You do, you have to, do you have to say that? Grupa? Is it Grup? Group? It's, Grupa? It's, it's Grup. Grappa. Is it Grup? Grappa? No. Uh, grappa? Like uh, it's grappa. Just, it's just That's like the, uh, it's like an Italian <laughs> aperitif. Greek. Yeah. So you're Grappa not, is Greek. Wait, okay. So you've got, oh, no, wait. I totally derailed us. I apologize. So you've got the 2002 Turbo right. still sitting. Well, uh, you know, I, okay. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay. So I bought a new old stock. I gave up waiting for BMW. I bought a new old stock a turbo in eBay, in eBay in Germany. The guy would not ship it to America. So I had a friend in Germany pick it up. And when he came to the States, you know, went through customs with it. And they go, what is this, sir? And, you know, <laughs> and, and, and he, and a I, duh, it's a turbo for and, a 76 and, BMW. Yes, and put that in. And that was great. But there was a lot of white smoke still. And I talked to the, one of the two turbo guys who, uh, one of the two guys in America who works on these. And he goes, oh, you know, that's. The rings on those cars are pretty weak and really we replace the rings and that they're just blowing oil past the rings. So, okay. And I sent the car out to him and then COVID happened. So that car has been there for two and a half years. Wow. <laughs> wow. So hang on. Let me just, okay. Let and, me and just, can, I, wait then, a minute. Then, Hold on. I, I don't, I don't know how much of my, you know, Phil Coast, can we talk about anything? No, no, no. Yeah, I just want to know, man, the, the, so What's the total period, do you think, amount of driving you've done in, say, the last 14 years for the, M for the BMW? Like two I, weeks? I, 
Yeah, I mean, well, a couple <laughs> of years. I've driven a, it's, it's a wonderful car, and what's really cool about it, so you asked about uh, what you can do to, to, I mean, the other turbo owners. There is Oldenzall in Germany, which uh, is a BMW re- restoration specialist, now is making turbos, but their turbos are better than the original turbos. And the beauty of the car was that the turbo lag was so great that you could like go get coffee, you know, in between a turbo lag, and you could, you could watch the turbo gauge, and turbo gauge just goes through, goes yellow, 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 and then it's a very tiny little bit of green, and then it's in the red. So you had a feather of the car the whole time, and you had so it's this beautiful balance that you had to figure out of how to drive this car. You know, how do you hit? When do you hit the turbo? When do you hit the turbo? So the turbo lag is is ending when you're coming out of the curve. It and is. When you're, coming, the... when you're coming out of the curve, you have to can't push it too too hard because then you're going to go into the red. So you, it's, it's funny, I used, to ne- I used to not like turbo cars. And then over the last five or six years, I found that I own almost exclusively turbocharged cars from the 80s or early 90s. Mm-hmm. And like you say, there's this beautiful kind of algebraic equation when you drive a turbo. It's very intellectually engaging, as stupid as that sounds. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're right, you're sort of feathering, you're keeping it on boost, you, you're watching when the boost comes on, you don't want to come on in the corners. And there's something really rewarding about that. Plus... For instance, in the 220, there's something that, that people always sort of did, used to do, or people always talked about old turbo, like it was this unpredictable thing, which just suddenly like suddenly come on, you'd be driving around and right, suddenly there'd right, be turbo, which right. is not at all. It's very predictable. I, I, found. I, I always uh, assumed, like with the Porsche 911 turbo, that I've never driven one, so I have no idea why that was such a handful for people. I don't really get it, unless right. the whole concept of a turbo was so foreign that people would just constantly put their foot foot in it all the time and end up in turbo boost I feel like and off the road. I, I feel I like really it's have. um it's kind of like sex. Like you know the orgasm is coming and you're aware of what point is it's arriving and then you get sleepy right after the turbo kicks in. But, it's just a permanent sleep yeah. in and out of the turbo back then. <laughs> so uh oh so let's continue wait I want to continue the Yale Hall of Night automotive nightmares. So then <laughs> you have to understand I the owning a vintage car to me the troubles with the vintage car are not daunting. They're just part of the package. And because I like to go long distances, I drive the cars a lot. I am in situations. You well, know, that's the thing about owning a vintage car. It's part of owning an old car is that it's going to screw you at some point. You just, whenever I drive well, something it's just, old, it's, it's just going to break the thing. It's going to break are, down yeah. and it's going to be fine. You're gonna just don't so what just, about the, you had a, you also had that Abarth yeah. that you couldn't fit in. <laughs> Which is and I'm really, not that big. which is shocking okay. because you're like yeah. an Italian-sized gentleman. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I bought a. The, <laughs> so we have a mutual a friend named Eric who works for Bonhams, and I had seen a picture of this Abarth that Bonhams was selling at the Padua auction. And so it, wait, just give everyone a little explanation about what this car is for people. Okay, who, it looks like a Simca Abarth, which was. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that, that helps at That's all. That's going to make it more obscure. Okay. okay, but it's based on a Fiat 600, and it was a body that Abarth built themselves uh, because they got in an argument with And this Zagato. is a 1960s? 63. Okay. So I, I said to Eric, our friend, I said, Eric, what's the story with that, uh, you know, that uh, Abarth uh, Mano Mille, which is what it was, uh, that you guys are selling in Patrick's? Oh, you should, you should bid on it. I said, well, I, I, I don't really want a car. I don't really want a car. I did just was wondering, I mean, I always liked Which always, is bullshit, because you always want to cut. I, I always wanted a Simca Abarth, <laughs> and it looked just like a Simca Abarth, and I thought it was a Simca Abarth without the same engine, you know? It looked exactly the same in the pictures. So he goes, well, just bid on it, just bid the minimum. What can I just bid the, you know? You so, see, you fell for Minos. I was going to say, he really... He did the same to me <laughs> when I was buying the Peugeot T16. He was, I was on the phone, he's like, yeah, just another five grand, just a round of drinks. <laughs> Go on, sorry, I And anyway, so I, obviously, I won the car, and it ended up here, and I went down to the pier to pick it up. I'd never picked up a car at the pier at my, in my dreams. Hang on, we should explain what the picking up at the pier. It just sounds like it's just like, so when you, when, when you buy a car, often if it's overseas, it's shipped to you, right? And then yeah. you have to go to the docks, which right. is Newark or Port which Elizabeth. No, there's no dock. Involved. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, yeah. but it's called it. But you go to Port Elizabeth, yeah. and you have to walk through this parking lot of all these imported cars. And then you, and it's kind of a magical experience. And then when you're walking around, you, you see your car like parked next to whatever, like a Daihatsu from Japan. And there it is. And you kind of see it. And it's kind of, it's really, I loved, it's so much fun to do that. So and you have to wear a high. It, it, it's kind of scary at first because you, you hear a lot of stories about the docks and, you know, I don't know if you've ever gone to good. I mean, we used to ship <clears> records 
through the through JFK and the you know it was always hell to try to get them out of the customs because the customs guys would always make sure to go to lunch whenever you got there and there would always be a two-hour wait and then you didn't have the forms correct and right. you, all this stuff you know but you have to wear the high-vis vest which they charge you 10 bucks to buy one unless you I unless you stole, bring your own i've brought my own yeah i was gonna say if you've been a few times yeah yeah, yeah. bring so, your own high-vis so anyway vest. the car wouldn't start i thought okay i won't start got the tow truck towed it up to the mechanic the mechanic says you know someone put a head gasket in that actually doesn't fit this this head that the pistons were touching the head gasket so we have to kind of go in there and then we change the pistons and then because the rings aren't right and da, 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 da. <laughs> you know one of those things so um, i mean after you know months and months and months you know i take the car out for a drive and and uh, you know i said to the mechanic you've driven the car oh yeah i've driven the car well the mechanic has never driven the car on a highway he doesn't believe in driving you know small aworth like cars on the highway but i'm on a highway because they go like 75 well I, i'm going 80 and right. it's you know pushing it's a 5,000 rpm at 80 and all of a sudden the cabin fills up with black smoke black smoke to the extent i cannot see anything and i'm on a <laughs> highway good. with not trucks good. so i have to open the door to look down at the ground <laughs> to see where the started lines are so i can get off the road <laughs> And, 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 this is a typical Yale story. This is not an unusual Yale story. <laughs> it's kind of like a, I felt the Monomile was a kind of car that wanted to kill me. You know, other cars just break down. This one really wanted the to other do cars it just want to annoy you, but this one wanted to do you in a way. You know, right, this so, one want to go back to Europe. So yeah. you got rid of that. I, I sold that, on and then you got because, because I bought a long nose Bialboro. Abarth, Abarth, also same car in a way, but different body and a more highly tuned engine. So do you want to, that's an amazing story. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I, so you, I, hang on, you say so you bought it in Japan, yeah. but the guy, the Japanese, was it a dealer? Well, okay. Ja- me, did, well, he, well do you want me to tell a story you want to tell? No, I want to tell a <laughs> no, story. I want Phil to tell you a story, <laughs> not as much detail. It's going to be so much more entertaining if I tell it. There's be better words, English accent. Come on, people will love it. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So, can I just, can I just, can I just, cause I love this little nugget. It was a Japanese dealer, right? Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't sell to a non-Japanese buyer. Right, right. So you had to find a Japanese guy in Japan who would pretend to be buying it, but he would be buying it for you. Straw purchase? Yeah. <laughs> is, tr- is that is that correct? That, yeah, I mean, that's correct. That was the, okay, do so, we want to do that on publicly? Okay. I was say, what's right. the statute of limitations on that? Yeah. Mm. Well, well, okay. So I had been in Japan uh, maybe five years ago with my wife and the last day we were there uh, it was a sunday in tokyo and there were a lot of vintage cars driving around and i saw this honda s800 mm-hmm. convertible and the guy pulled over this girl gets out she goes into a building i come running down the street and i go hey hey what's it like to own it do you speak english what's it like to own a wait vintage can car? i just interrupt for a minute yale this this is not an unusual occurrence when i used to go to cars and coffee with yale and he'd see an interesting car pull up. He would run up to the car as the guy was still driving and pepper the guy with questions. <laughs> oh, so this, oh, this is the guy. told me about this guy. Yeah. Okay. Like they're trying to park and everyone's watching them trying to park. And he's like, hey, what do you choose that color for? Way, is that a five speed or a six speed? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, then they hit, a, then they hit a, you know, then they hit another car and then they're mad at you. Anyway, sorry. I just, well, I had a really nice conversation with him and it turned out we knew people in common and it was, it was kind of cool. So then the next day we leave. So I, I, a friend of mine bought a Simca Abarth, and I think it was about to buy a Simca Abarth, I should say. And I thought, if you don't buy it, then I really, that's the car I've always wanted. Uh, let me buy it. And he said, oh, I'm going to think about that. And then he bought it. So I was kind of feeling really down, and I started get really applying myself to find a Simca Abarth. Abarth made about 30 uh, cars, maybe 50 cars, Simca Abarths. And then Chrysler bought Simca, and the Abarth Simca program ended. But Abarth was left with 30 bodies and chassis. And they sold them to their dealer in England called Radborn. And Radborn decided to make a Radborn, which was a Simca Abarth with a Fiat 124 souped up engine. And uh, they would sell it as a sports car in England. It didn't do very well, but there were these 30 Radborns, you know, still around. And I found one in Japan. I thought, okay, I'll get a Radborn, which is a Simca Abarth, except that. It's not a Simca Abarth, but it could be a Simca Abarth. Right. It is, but it isn't. Yeah. yeah. But I'm trying to figure out, how do I get this Radborn out of Japan? And I remember the guy who I had met on the street in Tokyo, who a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, had, uh, had said, you know, he brings in Japanese small trucks for another guy, a friend of his. So he's sent a lot of cars to the, to the States. And I called him up, or I wrote him, I said, hey, do you think you could help me 
uh, get a car out of the Japan? He goes, yeah, I, I think I could. I think I can do that. I know how to do that. I've done that before. And by the way, there's this long nose Abarth for sale at this dealer that you love in the north of Japan. And I saw a picture of it, and the dealer had this car in his living room, this long nose Abarth in his living room, and had been in his living. You know, when you look on his Instagram, it would be there. Always in the background. I've got to say that <clears throat> that is always a dream. For oh me. my god! Like come on, parking I'm, with the sofa. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, come on. How great would it be to have like an incredible car in your living room? Is and that not? I, I mean, mean for, yeah. the and silver manatee would really love that. Yeah. Kurt <laughs> Corbusier, you know, had a ramp in his house in Paris, outside of Paris, that the car would drive up. Was supposed to drive up and be in your living room. Did he have like a Google mobile or something? I have no idea what he had. I don't think he ever did that, but he could have. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. You found the not Simca, Simca, North, I, Northern Japan. No, no. I found the Simca part that was in a Radborn, right. but he found it for me a different car that wasn't a Simca part that was like the Monomile I had, but a prettier body and a more souped up engine. And I thought, okay, instead of having to go through the whole story of what a Radborn is each time, maybe I should just get it. This, you know, this, this Avarth long nose Bialboro. And uh, so I said, okay, let's, let's get that. Which meant, he said, the dealer won't sell it to me unless I visit it. He won't just sell it to me. You have to go see it. And it's, you know, an hour and a half flight from me. So eventually he flew up there and saw the car and sent me pictures. I love that that's a condition of the sale. Yeah. Because I guess, the, was it that the dealer was very attached or was a sign of... Like it was like I thought everything the dealer had to say was so soulful, and, you know, <laughs> deep. Right. You know, his, like his Instagram is like water dripping. You know, cats moving around slowly, <laughs> and, uh, little, and in the a bath in the and, corner, and, and, and a bath in the corner, or like some you right. know, Alpine Renault backing up into a snowy parking. Right. The car is going to come with profound knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at any rate, I, I eventually we get the car, and then we can't figure out because of COVID and all the shipping issues, how to get it out of the country. None of the ways that my friend in Japan had used before worked. And it just sat there for, I mean, months and months and months. And me kept trying to figure out different ways to get it. And then a friend of mine, a friend of mine was talking to a friend of mine who has an Abarth, has Abarth, had Abarth his whole life. And he said, what happened to that monomelian? Did you ever sell it? I go, yeah, I did sell it. He says, yeah, you know what? I thought, but I got, I had long nose, Alvaro. He goes, oh, you got to be Alvaro. You know, does it have a, you know, oil temperature gauge in the middle of the dash? I go, no, it doesn't. He goes, it doesn't? Well, all the Alvaros have oil temperature And that's always the, that's always the worst thing. Your heart just drops because especially when you're buying, when you're buying the, when you're, if we should give people a bit of context, when you're buying very obscure, low production cars from the 60s, <clears throat> often there are competing um, canons of knowledge. Like some people, some group of people say, this is correct. Another group of people say, this is correct. This guy has written a book about it. This guy, that, you know, this other guy, his grandfather worked at the factory. He says that's correct. So there's always competing bits of knowledge, but also because of the, those are all race cars. So a lot of them have been messed around with, had the engines replaced and, and that was never a big deal in period. But then when they became valuable, people get all kind of obsessive about like it has to be numbers matching and all that stuff when it probably never was numbers matching. Um, so he says that does it have the center, so, center so, oil gauge, whatever, and so you I, say so, no. So I, I ask uh, the one guy who deals in Abarth parts, who's an English guy who lives in Italy, married an Italian. So woman. he's one of the authorities on Abarth. He's one of the authorities. Right. Says, he's oh, one no, of the posts. That, that car in 65 or 64 did not have the water temperature gauge <laughs> in the middle of the dash. Could you send me a picture of, of your dash? And because I have a picture of, because I gave him the number of the car, because I have a picture of that dash of that car from, you know, 30 years ago. Right. I sent him a picture of the dash and it does not match the picture that he has. And I'm like, oh, God. Because when he said he, that was correct initially, you must have been like, oh, fantastic news, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I figure, okay, I better get an Abarth expert in Japan to take a look at it. So I ask him, I said, do you know anybody in Japan? And he goes, oh, yes, this guy. So he sends me the, a contact for somebody and he talks to the guy and the guy, he says, hey, he knows you. I go, an Abarth expert in Japan knows me? How can that be? This was the same guy who was selling me the Radborn. <laughs> <laughs> so the, and since so I didn't the guy, buy the so Radborn, he wouldn't have anything to do with me because I didn't buy the Radborn. Yeah. So, but the car is now here. It is here. I still have no idea what it is. It's a, it's a, it, I was sold under the auspice and the understanding that the engine leaks oil 
and I sent it to a, <laughs> an expert. I feel like that's just a factory option when it's a 60s Italian car, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Do you want a lot of oil leaking or, small, or <laughs> a shitload of oil leaking? I mean, they're a Fiat-based engine, and I sent it to a guy who specializes in Fiats and bought up all the Fiat dealers in the East Coast and has a ton of parts, and he goes, you know, and I, he goes, oh, I'm sure we can, you know, just, I mean, no problem. You know, usually this is what happens when it leaks oil. It is, people don't work on this part and they don't really. And he got to say, I've never seen this in 40 years. <laughs> wow. It's, it's a. It's so a, this was all, this has been, this was what, seven years ago now? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was about four months. Okay. So I feel you have a lot of uh, challenging classic car stories. Do you have like a, just like a regular dependable Every day, get around. Well, my we wife, have the same car. My wife won't ride in any of the old cars. I understand that. Yeah, so I have a Audi station wagon. Okay, which right. doesn't have the. But your wife, I have. I bought the same car that you have, mm. but yours doesn't have any of the problems I have. I feel like you gave me the Yale Lurgy. Oh uh, yeah, this is the problem <laughs> with my friends think that anything's wrong with their cars is my fault. Right, like well, you saw you, the car once or touched yeah, it. It's like, yeah, oh, exactly. Like right. if you exactly. go for a drive with yeah. Yale, yeah. chances are you yeah. will have an unexpected mechanical problem. And it's Yale's not, fault. Not, not necessarily. I don't. But that. highly, I mean, I'd say like a 70%. <laughs> Luckily, that's why you never go to drive with me. So. <laughs> that's why, man. I'm just trying to save money yeah, on repairs. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so where did you, did we actually get your guys' origin story? We met at a Cars and Coffee. He, I had a. Yale came running up to me when I was trying to park. I, I said, had hey. A, I had a, a, this 1970 uh, 911S and I was parking it and two laughing English guys came over to me. And we're sort of laughing, making jokes at each other nonstop. At you? No, just about anything. Oh, it was yeah. at you and Nut King. Yeah, that's right, the yeah, Nut King. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how we met. Yeah, why you were drawn to us. Our and humor. you did go on a drive with, uh, in fact, with the Ferrari. I, 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 uh, I went on a drive with the Art Grouper and, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. brought the M1. That's right. But you also went on a drive with me in the Ferrari and uh, Karsten and, uh, and. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, uh, and so yeah. I'm driving down the highway with the Ferrari and it dies. And I am, I pull over to the side and I'm walking down the center of the highway to look at, to see what exit I'm at. So I can tell AAA I'm at this exit. Karsten, who's a German friend of ours, pulls over because he sees some wandered guy wandering down the middle of the highway and realizes he knows that guy. (laughs) And he push starts me, which gets the car started again. You know, so then we go, we go for, we go out for breakfast with Bill and a couple other people. And every time I have to start the car, they have to push. push Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And but we kept going. I mean, there's no big deal. I'm used to that kind of issue. On the R Grouper, um, we switched cars. I had the M1 and you drove it and you didn't like it, did you? Well, I just thought it's it too felt much like car a good, for you. good uh, just a good car. I mean, I like cars. I don't mind if cars have issues or I should say drawbacks because those Foibles. drawbacks are, are, are part of the character of the car. Sure. I want to drive a car that has a character in it and has a feeling and is emotional connection to the car. Sure. You know, I, I, a car that's just a good car. And I feel when cars got to be too modern, they lose all those those things that take you onto a time travel trip, really, that make you feel, take you away from where your modern life is. Right. And I really like older cars for that reason. I don't know, man. I find, I mean, I own, I, own, I guess, <clears throat> all 80s and 90s stuff, and I find that they are just as foibly, if that's the word, as of the old stuff, but just in different ways. You know I, what I mean? I and you, they, and you, they and you drive get, better. Yeah, no, they do. They certainly drive better for sure. But they, but they have like all, all of those cars that I own have their own weird things. You have to kind of learn to live with. It's kind of it's not. I mean, it's it's not just similar to having a relationship with a person. You get to know their foibles and you kind of work around them or live with them in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah. And and I mean, I would say, I feel like maybe the '90s was the last era of any car having those kind of having imperfections in that way. Don't you think? I mean, I feel like I, I think everything's generational, right? Won't, won't older generations look at any old car as an old car? Right. Do you know what I mean? Any old car, car from the youth will still seem old. Yeah. I mean, you know, even when you, if you've had a modern car for ten years and you still have that same modern car, and you go rent a car, the rent a car will have all these upgrades, you know, technological things that you're kind of blown away by. You right. Know? That happens. I think that's going to be the case. I was in a Tesla the other day. Do you ever drive a Tesla? I've been in them. I've never driven one. I was, I loved it. It yeah. was amazing, but it was like that. I, I, I was like, holy shit, this is 20, you know, 24th, this is 24th century business in here. I, yeah. I, and I really enjoyed that. 
people always complain about electric cars, they make the noise and all the rest of it. But for me, it, I don't think it's a question of comparison. It's a question of, different, of a different experience. Because that, that, the electricity, the, the, the talk, I mean, everyone always goes about the instant talk, but it's so much fun. Yeah. To just to I, have I, I rented an EV1 because budget rent a car and oh. I used to rent EV1s. And I was Wait, going, was that the GM car? Yeah, the GM car. Oh. And, and, and uh, I was going to a wedding at a Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And I drive up to the top of Mulholland Drive and I'm out of batteries. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? How could you rent this car? I can't believe you rented it. I went from the airport to the top of Mulholland Drive. I have no battery. And the guy had said to me casually, you know, if you ever come up to a stop sign or something like that, there's a little button on the side of the stick shift. Push that in. So... The Reading was at the bottom on the downside of the hill, so I pushed the button in and I cruised down. By the time I got to the wedding, I had full power left. And then it had- Did a, it run a motor that charged the battery? Yeah, you know, that charged the battery. That's, what, that's battery what the little red button does, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, 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 and then uh, it had a plug, you know, a regular household plug. Right. I drove it into somebody's front yard and plugged it into their, uh, <laughs> to, you know, into the receptacle that was there while I went to the wedding. What was that like to drive? Uh, it was fantastic, it was wonderful. Because for one, you turn the car on, and the dashboard went around in like a you know semicircle around you, oh, very cool. starship. You know? you know what I love is that the the you know what's that VW called? The VW. oh the XL one. Yeah. So you, that's so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's like super futuristic. It's it's not dissimilar in a weird way, shape wise to the EV one. It has spats on the rear wheels. It's got it does like what like a 200 miles to the gallon or something crazy. Well, so our other podcast. Great time there to plug no that. Other, there are no other podcasts. The other Haggerty podcast that we're showing, the Carmel Legends show. Uh, Jason Camisa actually saw one of those driving around like the San Francisco area late at night, flagged down the owner just to kind of like check it out. Yale style, came running up to him and used the No, totally. And then basically connected to them the next day and like drove it for like a whole day around. Wow. Yeah, he said it was totally amazing. Yeah. In but what I'm, way? Huh? In what way was it amazing? Just because like it's such a, he called it like the Veyron of miles per gallon. Oh yeah, okay. right. Because it was no expense spared designed to right. just like achieve the maximum potential of like miles per gallon. So that's a car you can buy. Uh, yeah, in Europe you can. It was like yeah, oh, it was like limited production sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like one hundred and thirty grand now. Mm-hmm. Those things. But you're the first person I've encountered in this industry who actually has driven an EV one. That's because yeah. Yale is one hundred and twenty two years Yale's old. Gone, that's right. <laughs> Remember when you drove the original Ford, Ford Model T? Yeah, how that go. was, man. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: was it was it quick? Did it feel like a Saturn? Oh, sure, sure, like sure. It, it, it was quite quick, you know, because it's, it's electric car, right? So it has that in you know off what, the line. You know what acceleration. I was one of the. What? It was. It had a funny heaviness to it. So like there was this dip on the way back to the airport, and I remember you know in L.A. and you and you'd hit this dip with the with the EV1 and kind of. God, you know, it kind of would come up and you'd pop up in the air a little bit and come right back down, you know. So it, it was it was weighted weirdly and the tires were kind of thin, but it was a really fun car to drive. I mean, really. I always wanted so to unique. drive a, I, for a while I was going to, I considered buying um, the Honda Insight. Mm-hmm. I just loved, because yeah. they all have similar, I guess that's, you know, they share a similar design ethos because that's the most fuel efficient design. But I just love how that, and those are supposed to be really fun to drive. Do you ever drive one of those? uh, No. I think the interesting thing about Tesla is the fact that it's designed by someone like us who likes cars. And, you know, the people who work for car companies like cars. I mean, that's why they're working for car companies. But by the time they get a car designed, they've made so many kind of compromises. You know, whereas whereas Tesla or Apple or any company driven by one person's vision you know, gets to kind of take chances where someone else might say, oh, that might be too Well, for much sure. Money. But I mean, look, that, that applies to everything. I mean, even when it's a flat, but it's so a, rare. A, dic- a dictatorship is a much better idea for designing stuff than the committee, always, if yeah. the dictator has decent taste, always. I mean, it's just so rare that you have a company of that size that has one person really making design decisions. Right. right. Oh, okay, that's it. I should tell everyone actually. Well, no, that's actually. <laughs> Wait, that's, I should. T- well, I want to just alert the audience that Yale is the king of. In England, it's called the Irish goodbye, but in Ireland, it's called the English goodbye. So when I'm talking on the phone to Yale, and he feels like we've reached the end of the conversation, we're like, okay, thanks, bye, and you'll just hang up and you're like, gotcha. <laughs> so this may happen if you want to just I, get up and, and leave. And then <laughs> I don't like to out- overstay my welcome. <laughs> oh no, you're still welcome here. Okay. Well, so. Obviously, the dictatorship in terms of running a business, right? That's an interesting thing. It does not happen very often. But is that something that you see a lot of in the record business? Mm. Record business is a lot different. Record business was always a mom and pop business until CDs came along. 
And and when CDs came along, because you could never determine, um, you know, when a, an artist would deliver a record and when you couldn't say, this is what our income is going to be. But when CDs came along, right, uh, it changed everything. Because all of a sudden, do you care about that? <laughs> oh, well, we're here in New York. So, okay. we got, we so, so, so what it changed everything. So that all of a sudden you could have, you could plan for reissuing all your, your catalog and you could plan for what your quarterly results were going to be. And it totally changed who owned record labels and their attitude towards record labels. And that was a that was a huge change in, in the music industry and the kind of music that was recorded. Up until that point, you'd you know, in my youth, you know, you'd pull out a sleeve on an LP jacket, and there would be all these different styles of music, you know, because it didn't really matter. There was an audience that wanted polka, there was an audience that wanted Latin music or whatever. So record labels did a lot of different kinds of music. But when 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 the youth revolution happened in the '60s and bands started making a lot of money. That starts starting falling away, and then CDs came in, and that really totally killed every other kind of music. And the next thing that happened was that there was a thing called SoundScan. You care about that either? There was a <laughs> hey, wait, hold, what? we should just tell everyone that we're in a new space uh, that is slightly less sound. We're working on it. We're <laughs> working on it than the old space. We are diligently working on it. <laughs> anyway, so there it used to be when I we we went through as a label. We went through Warner Brothers at first, and they had a department that would just send out gifts to people who worked in record stores to report their records as having sold well. So when you saw a billboard chart, you know, that was all just kind of fabricated. And then something called SoundScan came along where they actually had stores reporting actual sales based on barcodes. And 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 people started to realize, whoa, country music really sells a lot. Hip hop really sells a lot. Well, you really had sp- you had a lot of very specific information suddenly, whereas you didn't before, right? Well, so you could, you could the, so the, then they could start. The, they could then the, they could. The white guys who worked at the record labels who were interested in rock made sure that rock records, rock bands, were the ones that got reported because that's what that was important to them, right? You know, and that just changed when, like I said, when, when SoundScan came along. But so record labels were were always. Well, I won't say always, but often driven by one person's or a small group of people's taste. Right. You know, really quite a bit different than other industries. It's my wife used to say it's like one of the few places where arts and commerce actually are totally mixed. Right. Because one needs the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, uh, the record industry in general is fascinating, especially the modern version. So thank you for indulging me. (laughs) I mean, I could talk about music for ages, <laughs> yeah, about my love of Actually, music. Phil, what, wait, what music are you into, Phil? <laughs> oh, I mean, look, a lot of... No, at least like, it's, it's, you got Spotify, right? <laughs> Not really. The show's available on Spotify. No, I got... I, I actually, have Spotify no, now. I got, that's what I, was say. I, I got Spotify when I realized I could listen to myself talk, which yeah. I do. On, yeah. I mean, it's just, sometimes I'll just spend an afternoon <laughs> listening to these podcasts, regaling myself. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I music used to be hugely important to me, and I was really, really interested in in a lot of in in a really, really broad range of I thought, but for the time, pretty weird stuff like country music from the '30s. I don't know Gregorian chants, sea shanties. Uh, I don't know, like I really loved that. What was that Alan Lomax? Those recordings he did when he went mm-hmm. through. I mean, yeah. all sorts of punk music, a massive reggae punk. Anyway, but as I got older. I, I can just music was less and less important to me or, or it didn't seem to be around me much. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I always loved music as a kid and I was afraid to work with music because I thought I would ruin it mm-hmm. for myself. And at first I was going to I went to college and I thought I was going to work in radio. But then I thought, OK, that's that's just really a dead end for me. And it's not going to be really what I'm interested. You've in. You've actually got a really good voice for radio, man. You do. I find well, myself I curiously aroused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aroused, but I do agree with a great voice. <laughs> I had no idea. I've never listened to your voice through headphones. Well, you, that, but maybe I, you can make some more said, regular occurrence. You want to do this podcast? I go, That's not going to work for a friend. What the hell? And I realized, I also felt it was not going to work because you have to understand when, when we're together, we never talk about me at all. This is the most <laughs> Phil has ever heard about me. You know and, what? This and, is really painful. And, 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 right. He's and, learned your name today. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and the funny thing is, so once he started doing the podcast, he started... He would try to ask me a question like, so what are you working on now? And I realized I could quickly change the subject to him. And that whole what are you working on now thing would just go right by the wayside because there really wasn't an interest in that, which was fine because I was actually uncomfortable <laughs> talking to you about anything I was doing. Why, man? Because well, of my towering intellect. 
because one, you're not interested. I no, mean, that's not true. You're not interested I, in music, you know. And, and, and I, so you know. No, very, but I, but here's I, the thing. Hang on, let me interrupt. It's I, it's not that I'm and not interested. No, that's no, 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 that's no, not no, a problem. Hang on, for me. No, let me interrupt, man. It's not that I'm not interested. It's that it's not it's not it doesn't play a big part in my life. But I am interested in the stories you tell about your music because they're always such incredibly fucking crazy fascinating weird stories about this guy and that guy and this family members and then this cousin popped up and he doesn't want to be on it so i love the stories do you know does but it's not that i'm not interested in music right. actually i have to be because lulu's always playing me my kid is always right. like what about this song dad what about that song and it's often stuff i really have that stuff i don't have much interest in because mm -hmm. it's often pop music yeah it's that's what i and i like as phil said i kind of work with somewhat more obscure stuff so it's always hard for me to talk to other people about music who aren't interested in music because I know they're just not going to be yeah, interested. Yeah, but the stories are great, man. Yeah, yeah. Because when you talk, you're not because you're not telling stories to me about music. You're telling stories to me about people. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what those stories are. They, I mean, I, you know, you can't convey what the music's like, but they're just fascinating. And also, what's interesting to me about what you do with your music in particular is the insane amount of patience you have. Like you, you're like you when you describe describe to me why the deals you're trying to put together, the records you're trying to make. It's kind of like, I always, you're, you're kind of, you're sort of made of water. Like you're always in motion and you always find some way, like little trickle through this little gap, like everyone's saying no, everyone's saying no, but then you find a little way to like some guy, you'll buy him a sandwich, you'll go out for a beer, you want to have some chicken wings, whatever it is. And suddenly, you know, you manage to sort of charm this guy into saying, okay, fine, I'll make this record. Um, no is, is really kind of a suggestion for you. It's never a, a definitive. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think no is ever the real answer. That's right, which is amazing. Yeah. 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 I also actually feel like, I kind of feel like, you need to have that attitude if you own old cars. Right. Because yeah. it's interesting, <laughs> like when I talk about watches to people, like the, I own some watches from the 70s, these Patek Quartz watches, and people are like, oh, I don't know, there's a, you know, what happens when they don't work or how do, you, how do you fix those things? And anyone who's really loves old cars, who's had old cars for years, there's always a way to fix something. You know, there's never something that's unfixable, right, right. except perhaps in the case of your BMW, which is permanently unfixable. But that's the one exception in the entire vintage car ownership yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that I guess, what was I going to say there? I, you know, the, the whole, uh, I used to travel a lot. I used to go all over the world and then I had a kid and I stopped traveling and then I started getting into, I was in the cars as a kid. But I got picked it back up again because so I bought a Mercedes diesel station wagon, a 10-year-old Mercedes diesel station wagon, right at the dawn of the Internet. And I realized cars are as much of a culture as any other culture that you're going to see. And the idea of cars as culture became interesting to me. And, that, you know, I was looking at this headline and maybe it was the newspaper or something and said, it said something about um, meaning, bringing meaning to life and joy. And I really, you know, really liked those that I, those two things together, that's kind of really important to me, that there's a meaning to things, that things have another level to them. Of, of course, that article was about TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> it was about sponge cakes. <laughs> no, it was literally it it was was about, about TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, as, a, as, a, as abusive as our relationship is, you always have these really lovely, keen insights, particularly into like being a parent and stuff that I, I I mean, I'm, it's kind of embarrassing to have to say this in public, but I value your insight. Yeah, I will never say this again, and, and we'll probably lose the files. Of if this you're watching on YouTube, you'll we'll we'll edit, we'll edit, edit this stuff out. <laughs> so this, will be, this will never make it. This yeah. will never be aired. Well, so what's a what's a recent piece of advice that you got that you? Okay, so I, I asked. I said to Yale, I go pick up Lou in the car from school, and she just gets on the phone. I feel like a bloody chauffeur, and so you said, well, do you want to? Well, I mean, I just said, you you can't go to her. You're making me feel like a chauffeur. Just put the phone down. Because I tend to go like full Victorian father, like, how dare you, child, and all this kind of bullshit, which is surprising for me. I mean, you have to make the kid care about you in the sense that, that you know, what am I supposed to do while you're here on your phone? You know, like at least talk to me a little sure. bit. I mean, 
I don't well, know. Your suggestion was, was your suggestion was a negotiation. So when yeah. Lulu gets in the car, I say, okay, you can tell me, you you have to tell me two stories yeah. about something that happened, and then and get then, on your and phone, and then you can go look at TikTok yeah. for the yeah. next twenty minutes. So you brokered, you know, you basically put like a contract in front of her, like, hey, check out the, the deal I'm offering you. Come yeah. sign with it. Okay, I like that. See, I mean, every, she came with a lawyer. She did. Yeah, we sat course. down. I, I think everything's a negotiation. It is. Yeah, but you, is. but also you, you think everything's in negotiation that always ends up in a good way, which is well, you, because you have to take the other person's needs into consideration. Well, that's I bullshit, mean, and that's <laughs> I think that's really important with a kid that the kid's gonna, you know, the other thing I say, you know, you have to say the the kid has to realize that they're when they become a teenager that their point of their teenagehood is to separate themselves from you. Right, that's the point. You know, you can't be insulted by that, and the kid has to realize that's what they're doing. Right. Not, you're not any more of a jerk than you were like three years ago. You're the same jerk you were three years ago, but he's got to do make a point to kind of get his own, get, become his own person or they, no, no, I, their I, own person. I'm, and that's I'm, important. Well, one of the things you told me a long time ago is how you went with your, with Cole, your son, you would always kind of remind him like you're being a teenager, but, but this is what you're supposed to be doing is like, you know, being mad at me and all this stuff. And so you would sort of point it out to yeah, him. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, and, and also say, look, I was like that to my parents and your kids are going to be like this to you. You know, so this is how you're supposed to be when you tell me I'm a complete idiot or whatever. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. That's how it works. That's what, I've been, that's what I've been saying to Lulu. Yeah. I mean, because I, for me, the important thing with my kid was that he looked around at the situation he was in and realized why he was in that situation. What was going on? What was the other person who was annoying him? Why were they annoying him? What were they thinking about? What was it? What, you know, what was happening with them that made them be annoying to him? Because everything, you know, all the things going on, there's all these different levels to them. And they should always be thinking about them so he's not feeling oppressed by the situation he's in. That was my, that's my thing. God, you actually do have really good See? advice. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, you know, like, like talking about like, you know, teens are supposed to be separating right now. Like that's, yeah. no one ever puts it in that context. Yeah. You should call him more often. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Is so it, wait, you, so we have a son named Cole? Yeah. How old is he? He's 30 now. Oh, so he can drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he can drive. <laughs> Does he like cars? Mm-hmm. And he could drive a stick, which he's very proud about. <laughs> well, because I'm sure be. he's like the only person amongst his friends. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, he has friends who are car people. Really? Yeah. That's what I know. Do you he think all work. your friends are car people? Almost all. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of them are. Yeah, a lot of I mean, the, the beauty of a hobby like cars is you meet a bunch of people who have no other shared interests with you. And that's always so interesting, you know, that yeah. you meet people who you would have had nothing... To do with otherwise. Also, you meet people who you, you connect with them through cars, which is an incredibly sort of intimate connection in some ways. Uh, and my the, wife, and my wife bond, feels also, the opposite of intimate connection because everybody's in their own car. Oh, I see. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But also, but then you meet people who would like, you know, I meet people who are politically maybe so far on the other end of the spectrum from me, and I would never meet them other than the fact that we like cars. So, uh, so speaking of our group, our grupa. Uh, you know, I was having dinner with some people. Why do we hang on? Why don't you explain what our grouper is? I don't want to. No, well, no, okay, 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 okay. okay. So our group was originally uh, a, a few people in California who took the California hot rod ethos to Porsches, uh, to vintage Porsches, to long head Porsches. And that was pretty revolutionary at the time. And this was in what? That, it, in was the a, 80s it was or 90s? 22 years ago. Okay. And, uh, and, and so. Um, they created a cultural world around them and decided to kind of call, you know, call it something. And in, in the Porsche world at the, and in the time of their cars, there was a R, there was a, the famous Porsche R, which is race car. And, and, and there was a Porsche made a book so that you could soup your car up like the race cars that Porsche made and raced, you know, so it had all the options. When did they make this book? In the sixties. Yeah, in the sixties. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. And, and so the idea was that you Can were- Can you imagine Porsche doing that now? It would just be options like paint a, paint yeah. a sample, yeah, exactly. what kind of leather you yeah. would have. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. and, and, and it was, a, it was, a, it ha, it was limited to 300 members because the head of it could remember the names of 300 people. Not 301. I've got yeah. to say, I mean, I can't remember 300. Wait, wasn't it started, wasn't it a design? Free, Freeman Thomas. Freeman Thomas yeah, started yeah, it. Yeah, it okay. was one of the two people who started okay. it. Yeah. Freeman, for those of you who don't know, Freeman Thomas is the guy who designed the original Audi TT, which I'm a massive fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and but have you ever driven one? No, but pretty I Pretty disappointing. Is it? I think yeah, it drives so. like a Mark IV Golf or Jetta. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, what, slow? 
Yeah, but the design... It's not that tactile. Okay, but I mean, just from a design standpoint, people seem to forget that that car was revolutionary at the time. In the late 90s, very late 90s, it was... There was nothing like that car. Well, he was making a Porsche, an Audi Porsche. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, so our grouper... So I'm I'm having dinner with uh, some our group friends in Philadelphia and my brother who lives in Philly and is a very kind of 180 degree of different from me as a person. Um, one of the guys, humorous. my brother, my brother was an electrician and he worked in the convention center in Philly. And uh, there's a lot of levels to the story, but anyway, so he, I said, well, you know, one of the guys uh, in the, in the, I'm meeting for dinner, his brother worked, uh, he was like the, the uh, enforcer for the, the, the carpenters union in, in the convention center. And my brother goes, oh, it wasn't the gorilla, was it? <laughs> I go, I don't think so. That wasn't doesn't sound like that would be this guy. Well, did he didn't did he introduce himself as the I'm the gorilla? I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, my brother is like one of these people. I said, so yeah. I said we're having dinner at this restaurant. If you want to come, he goes, no, 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 come. But my brother shows up, and he goes, if it's but he told me that before is that if it's the gorilla, you know, he punched me, knocked me out. I go, really? Yeah. He said he shows up and he goes, so which one of you guys? is the brother of the gorilla and 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 nobody on one end of the table heard him and and one of the guys said hey mike he's asking about your brother <laughs> oh no <laughs> and then they were just kind of blown away that you know one of the guy's brother punched my brother out you know? <laughs> i thought you were going to say your brother went over there and punched the brother out yeah. just for- <laughs> no he said he said you know yale you should punch him now <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought it was gonna go yeah no it's but at any rate, I don't know where that story was going or what the point of that was, but it was about, I guess, different worlds, you know, of people. Well, so, me. so our group is still a thing. It's still a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many members? 300. Still 300. Yeah. So there's no way uh, in until someone's out. Right. But there's some, I mean, the idea Do people is. people ever get kicked out? Yeah. But what, what, are they, what, what kind of infractions get you kicked out? You know. Okay. You lose your post cap. Here's one of the ways I was going with this whole thing. I'm not in, I was in the PCA for one year. I was in the Ferrari Cup for a year. What are those organizations like? Okay, that's not who I am. I'm not interested in being in a group, those groups or any group really. I wasn't that interested in being in our group, but I all of a sudden had a car that was kind of someone in our group had created. And so I ended up in our group. And I really liked the fact that it had no rules per se, and there was no organization per se. There was nothing about it per se that was anything other than you were there would be a place and say, we're going to get together here, come here. And you would go there to wherever that was, rent your hotel room. And you'd go off on a drive if you wanted or do whatever you want, hang out in the parking lot, have drinks or whatever it was you wanted. Silver there, there was no organizational so what activities. Gets, so what gets you kicked out? <laughs> Try and bring organization, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, the, there's an arc to all of these things. Like in the Ferrari club, it would always be the person who no longer had a Ferrari who was the most kind of important person in the way in the club, you know, where there the people who had the highest end, the most expensive cars, they never had time really to be the organizational people or the people giving of their time to make sure everybody else had a, you know, an interesting time and stuff like that. So you could just watch arcs of organizations and how organizations want to become organizations. So our group, you know, starts out very, very amorphous. And as time goes on, it gets less and less amorphous. Because it gets more calcified, right? Well, it's that that's just the general nature of things. Right, sure. You know, and it, there's yeah, becomes more people, structure. And because people who are then joined later then have a belief system in what it is that they're joining. When the people in the beginning, they just were just part of a group of people who were getting together. They weren't joining anything in particular, you know? So uh, I, I, so that there's an interesting <laughs> arc to all organizations that goes So that. Uh, what, where's the arc right now for our group? Or can't you say? I mean, it's 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 reinventing. I I feel it's you know Chris, Chris. There's a guy named Chris who was who was really the head of our group, and he died last year, and he was in a way the soul of our group. He was very disorganized. There would always be someone else who would be an organizational person, but he was the person who knew everybody's name in it. And he knew everybody in it. You know, he was just a wonderful, very very human person, and. And so when someone like that goes, then it's very hard for an organization to hold on to that humanity. And it's always trying to kind of swim around, you know, to trying to figure out like, what is it now without Chris? Chris there. And what is it now? <laughs> I mean, for, I mean, I was saying to the guys in Philly, it's like, 
our group is us. It's whoever we want it to be. It's, it's us right now in this room. That's what our group is an idea. It's not a number or a t-shirt right. or, or a bumper sticker. It's just an idea. And the idea is something we all, you know, all of us in it believe in. And we don't need anything more than that. You don't You're have a romantic, are you? I am, I am in that way. You, yeah. in a lot of ways, I yeah. think. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a lovely thing. God, this is terrible, man. All these, all these compliments, man. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that's, a, that's a nice compliment. Yeah, I take it back. I take it back. Yeah, that never happened. Please take that back. See, now it's all take good. Take that back. <laughs> now it's all good. Yeah. You could do the English goodbye. I could. I'm Just done. Get the, Are we it. done? Are we, we have we hit the hour? Yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. you guys, we have no, we have, there's no constraints. There's it's no like rules, Sam. Right. There's no rules. Right. That's it. Okay, yes. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let me just, before you take off everything, yeah. before you take off all your clothes, I just want to say thanks for coming in. <laughs> it's been a real delight. Yeah. Thanks, um, Phil. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah. All it, right. It was better than I thought it would be. <laughs> You see, better than you thought it'd be is like high praise. Yeah. That's like a multi-orgasmic I just thought we'd sit there going like, humana, humana, humana. I told you it wasn't going to be a disaster, man. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then, you know, you would say, every time I started to say something, oh, yeah, always says that. You know, no, man, look, look, I knew, I knew that once you, if you were given the opportunity to blather, <laughs> you would run free like a and horse. And this will be the last time I'll be able to say anything to Phil for the next 10 years. <laughs> That's right. You should get it all in now, yeah, man. Yeah, I've covered everything. Yeah. Thank All right, good luck. Thanks so much for coming, man. It was a delight.